Well, I guess that it's all about for me about how you relate to to the world in large, you know, and how how to, to give your platform to to unlearn the known, you know, because a lot of my work works that way. It's very raw things, it's raw surfaces. They almost look unfinished, right? <laughs> say I want you to look with your knees, see with your elbows and feel with your eyes. That's that's how you that's how you connect the sculpture. You realize that all your experience is important to inform your experience in this very moment. Very much the kind of existential thought, right? And very much a philosophical approach to sculpture, right? Hi, this is Sarah with another episode of Materially Speaking, where artists and artisans tell their stories through the materials they choose. Today, I'm meeting Vanessa Pashakanis who was born in Germany, migrated to Nova Scotia, and is now building a new studio, along with her husband John Greer, near Pietrasanta in northern Italy. I met Vanessa through Californian photographer Gail Scoff, who has been photographing artists around Pietrasanta while I've been interviewing them. I find Vanessa in front of her studio home, in a dusty yard filled with large sculptures. There were some horned and some winged beasts, a shield, and several pieces nearing completion. Behind us is a large, hangar-like industrial building with huge windows and evidence of building works in progress. We settle to chat in a small oasis of flowers and water, where a pond fed by a stream is home to fish and frogs. Vanessa feeds the fish and I ask her to introduce herself. My name is Vanessa Pashakanis, and I'm a German-Canadian artist living in Italy and Canada, which is just about to change a little bit. It's going to be more Italy than Canada. As a German, I immigrated to Canada, and now um, I'm coming back to Europe and uh, building this big studio here with, with my husband um, in Pietrasanta. And uh, yeah, so that's why I'm right now, mid, mid-career, mid-life. <laughs> Not a crisis, but a re-evaluation. <laughs> All good, yeah. So where were you born then? I was born in Germany, in southern Germany, in Franconia, part of Bavaria, where good wine comes from. Um, I grew up very dedicated to, to that region, and then when I was 10, we moved further up in, in Germany. Uh, then I was in North Rhine-Westphalia, uh, in a small village, wonderful experience. I had a horse and a dog and stuff and two sisters and uh, very liberal parents. Um, and I lived between Kassel and Münster, between the, the documenta and the sculpture, uh, sculpture project. And so, so I was Sorry. familiar with these big, big uh, art exhibitions early on, right? Um, uh, and, and my father went with me even as a, as a young girl to see those. 
Um, Were your family artistic? Not at all, no. Um, I'm not from an artistic family. My uh, father was an engineer, my mother a housewife, but, um, but my father was always interested in art and he, he had a distinct taste in art. He went to exhibitions and, and knew what he was looking at and, and he um, loved drawing and he taught me drawing really, which was kind of an interesting thing. As an engineer, he, he thought about um, becoming a, an architect at some point, which um, he didn't, but um, um, both of my parents were, were refugees, Germans, that were from, um, my father from Lithuania, that's where my name comes from, and, and that's why I really didn't want to change it, Pasha Kaunis is Lithuanian. Uh, born as a German, really in Lithuania, and and my mother was from uh, is from Breslau, which is now Poland. Born as a German there, and during the war, they both, as kids, as little kids, um, had very traumatic um, refuge refugee stories. As they, you know, my mother was in one of those famous cattle trains, um, and my father as well. His mother walked. To, uh, with his sister and him to Germany and they were in refugee camps and then they started over, you know. So it's kind of a generation, my parents have come from that, um, what they call in Germany, the lost generation because they were German kids that weren't wanted in Germany and uh, there was never any, you know, it's like you're German, you're, you have to <laughs> deal with it, everything is normal for a kid anyways, right? But um, anyway, so I, I that, that's my parents and uh, I had a wonderful childhood. My, my father um, um, was a very, very smart man and a wonderful man. And he, um, um, yeah, we were kind of middle class type of thing, you know. But I think what was important for me was that both of my parents, I had two sisters and um, I grew up not knowing about gender issues that really came into my life when I moved out because you know I just I just grew up my father raised us we were we were humans and not you know there was not you can only do this as a woman and that as a man you know I grew up born in 70 so in the 70s and um, and that made me very strong I think I never thought there was something I couldn't do <laughs> you know I just I always knew I was gonna do my thing not and no matter who I marry or not, you know, and uh, and I guess children were never anything I wanted, anyways. But uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So your your parents both came from different bits of Europe during the war to Germany. Is that mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. My mother was born thirty eight, and uh, you know when when Hitler started the war, he called all the Germans back, and um, and so like my grandmother really fled from the Russians because they started. To, to flood Lithuania and um, and uh, they would rape women, you know. That her, her husband was already in, in fighting in the war and he was in captivity, so she was alone. They were well off there. Yeah, so she took a little hand carriage and, and walked <laughs> with with a, a daughter and my father was born in uh, 33. So Hitler called the Germans back and, uh, and the Germans weren't really happy of taking in German refugees right from somewhere else at that time either so it was hard for that kind of group and my mother as well like Breslau uh, her father was a police officer so he knew what was coming and before the big exodus in Breslau happened he sent his family out in the train 
to meet a family they in a different country they hope was there when they would get there. You know, it's, it's yeah, hard times. But they are Germans, right? That's the funny thing. And so, so I arrived in, in Germany and had to start over from, from nothing. And, but, and I think just I've been working through this in the last few years. I think what is really important for me, and that's that I don't feel like I've, I am of any place. You know, I like I don't feel, even in Germany early on. I, that's why I, I, I learned English and French, and <laughs> I, I knew I was gonna. I wanted to leave Germany, um, just because it, I felt it wasn't. I, I didn't feel rooted there, and uh, and in a place where I. I felt really at home <laughs> was Nova Scotia. You know, I went there as an exchange student at first, and uh, um, it, it was the place that I was intrigued by. It's, for me, it's always first the place and the space, and and as few people as possible. <laughs> and now I'm here <laughs> in Tuscany, <laughs> where people go for the people. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It is It's funny. life. <laughs> so, um, uh, back to your sort of childhood or your study, if you like. Did you study art? I did, yes, yes. It's not easy to get into an art academy in Germany. And so um, you you have to be, you, you have to want to do it because it's to, to prepare that portfolio. And what was really important for me was in high school, there was two teachers that were really important for me. One was my French teacher who introduced me to philosophy um, and uh, existentialism in specific was something that really opened my mind to a lot of things. And it's it's really today part of the foundation of my work, this kind of continuous development of the self, the search for meaning. That was something that early on when I was 17, 18 in French language, I, I would read Camus and, and Sartre <laughs> and Simone de Beauvoir very important for me. And in parallel, I had a teacher in art that really gave me a wonderful foundation. And um, I learned about, you know, this is the, the mid 80s and, uh, you know, the important art movements I, I already understood and talked about in high school. And I remember there was a class when she introduced us to Eve Klein and uh, showed us a lot of a lot of his work. and. Uh, the idea of new realism, of a realism that has nothing to do with a picture plane, nothing that has to do with um, the experience of the material world, the void being a fullness, um, the color being so powerful it's a physical sensation. Um, Yves Klein Blue, the living brushes. I remember when I was introduced to that at the time, that just blew my mind and, and it was like, wow, because I always liked drawing and, 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 uh, and this idea of, of realism being a thing, like of life and art being one. Um, that opened up to me at, at that early time, and so I think I was fortunate, and then I was really determined. I went home, I said to my parents, this is what I want to do. My father just looked at me and said, well, I think it was always an option, go for it, you know. And so I had f full support from both my parents, really. And then I tried uh, applying for art schools, art academies in Germany, and it's really hard to get in. I applied and got rejected, and then I went uh, to Berlin to study geography. <laughs> Because I thought, well, if I don't even get in, I'm not going to waste my time. So I, I actually moved to Berlin, and then um, when I, st I had, I went twice to, 
to my ge geography classes. And uh, then I found right around the corner where I lived um, uh, a school that was uh, called uh, the Freie Kunstschule Berlin. And uh, it was uh, a place where I the first time was immersed in something like a studio activity. And uh, Erwin Lieber, my teacher at the time, he uh, he was a sculptor turned painter later on. He um, kind of circled my my drawing board and he said, well, is this the first time you're doing this? You know, I said, yes. He kind of was the one to, like I signed up for my first sculpture class and uh, it just it just was my thing. And he was the one who would, after two, two courses of mold making, he'd, he'd say, okay, I have to leave now for an hour, but if you have questions, just ask Vanessa. And, he didn't, you know, he, did, he didn't before kind of consult with me or ask me or anything. He just threw me in there and it was, and all of it, and the thing was, I could answer all the questions and I had fun and yeah. And then he said, Vanessa, look at you, just the way you dress, you are a sculptor, you are not a painter. <laughs> with the right mentors, I kind of really um, started making my way into into the work that, that I've been pursuing. And I think in a way, I mean, coming to art, from from the intellectual perspective, right? It's not, I, I didn't find stone and, and kind of loved the stone. I came to it from a very different way. I was, I was really immersed in like what I was interested in as a student was minimalism, you know, it was uh, Atapuvara, it was um, uh, conceptual art. So it was, um, I, I looked a lot at the, the painting at the time, Die Neuen Wilden, there was a lot of, of new painting in Germany as well. I studied, I ended up studying in, in first a year in Düsseldorf. Then I went to Stuttgart because I was, when I was accepted after one year in that um, independent school, I, uh, I was accepted at two places. You have to be very independent and really, if you don't know what you want to do, you, you have to leave because you, you leave because you can't, you know, it's not like some, say for example, in North America, it's all classes, you pick the classes and they kind of, that way you go through and in Germany it wasn't like that you know it's like if you were you, you have to be strong you have to know what you want and kind of um, really form your voice by by rubbing against other other voices in that class um, and that's uh, well it makes you strong too right in the end because you know if you are not if you're not interested in your own work and can't talk about it nobody else will <laughs> You know, I mean, that is kind of, I guess, later on you realize how formative and important those kind of years are, right? In the end, I actually um, separated from Inge Mann. This is funny too, it's these two women. I wanted to work with a strong woman. Then when I got too strong, we got fighting. And I ended up, <laughs> and ended up switching there. And I followed her to Berlin first. So I studied in Berlin in the former East uh, German uh, Academy when, when Germany opened up. And um, because they called a lot of professors from the West into the uh, school, because that was a very different model, because there, you know, you were educated to make art for the state. <laughs> and whatever we call art was done just at home under the table, you know. And, and uh, so, so that was big changes, interesting time to be in Berlin, you know, um, very, very crazy place. And so I graduated in Berlin at that school. Um, in 97. In Germany you do uh, four years of uh, art academy and then usually after the fourth year we all went for a year somewhere else, an exchange program.
I had met a Canadian in, in high school and uh, I knew Canada was a place you could immigrate to where the States, I didn't think it was a place it's easy to even get in or so. Then they said, we are starting a new program with, um, with NASCAD, which was at that point still the hotbed for conceptual art in the world. So it was um, kind of this hotbed of conceptual art and I said, well, that's not so bad a recommendation. So, so I went. Mind you, Halifax is kind of at the end of the world, right? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, well, it's it's a very strange place because it was such a special place. I arrived there and I had been traveling a bit. I was in New York uh, for a week, and I, um, and I arrived there and I'm like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> but the landscape is so strong, and there's, it's such such a special place. And uh, and Nazca turned out to be, it, it was 24-hour access. It was this, these old Victorian buildings all connected to make the school at the at the harbor front, and um, it was just so amazing. It was such a think tank. It was sort of my idea of kind of talking to others and working with others, and um, it was just such a wonderful experience that I. So at first I came and I wanted to everything you know printmaking and, and photography. And then I was there and I started hiking and I uh, experienced the landscape before the school started. And then I came back, I dropped all the classes. I said, I have to do sculpture. This is this is my place here, I've, I've, I've come home. Nova Scotia, if you don't know it, it's it's a rock. It's, it's, it's granite, very little soil, you know. It's a, um, a, a peninsula. And it's so nowhere you have more than 50 kilometers to the Atlantic Ocean. And it's not, it's not sand, it's just all rough rocks. And you, you, it's, you know, existentialism. You feel that, you know, you struggle for life. The, the, the trees are not thick and straight. They kind of are gnarly and go all in the direction of the wind. And uh, um, it's, a, it's a place so raw. Um, and and that, that was just my place and I did a show called New Works which was basically this room where I, where I put all these made boulders that, that were small rocks and it was the first time really that that I realized an exhibition a solar exhibition with the idea of immersing the viewer in a field of experience and this is still so much of, of what my my thinking is so um, I was introduced to casting there uh, aluminum casting and I did all these rocks they were all made put there for you to engage with and you would walk through you would always be in it you would not look at something on a pedestal and then I had drawings where I would roll a rock and trace it you know so it's all about this tracing about this memory about um, about the movement of material on on paper and these were on the walls, and it was was just another world I created, and 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 it was um, very important for me. And that's kind of then too where the shadows started to happen.
when I worked with plaster and this graphite surface, the materiality was something that you couldn't tell what it was. And that's something, you know, with the shadows as well, you can't really grasp it. And so I, that was a material for me to realize shadows with. And, and then this whole idea about these boulders and about um, making forms that are just about being made, that about the history of me putting force on them and then putting them in your way um, to engage with them. This moment of encounter where you realize that all your experience is important to inform your experience in this very moment. Um, very much the kind of existential thought, right? And very much um, um, a philosophical approach to sculpture, right? I went back and immigrated to Canada afterwards and did my master's there. And uh, I did a show that I called sculpture and I thought it was so radical because, you know, um, because it's about the, the thing as a confrontational other, you know, and it's, it's, it's a very basic idea of sculpture, but it so excites me. <laughs> and um, I realized the shadows, um, shadow is, is culturally something that you connect to, some, to darkness and to the other side of things. But I see it as occurring in the most, you know, there's light, that's when shadow falls. And it, it is a confirmation that you are here. Unlike a, um, a reflection distorts things, a reflection turns things around where a shadow intensifies what's there. So it's a different, it's a different thing. And for me, in a way, it's a really positive thing. And, and, and it's, um, if you can grasp a shadow as a three-dimensional thing, because, I mean, you see it on a surface, but it's there. If you pass behind somebody, you are in the shadow. So that's when my shadows became the boulders. And I made this landscape. I went back to Germany and I did two exhibitions for my masters. I did the one with the five shadows. I had this giant studio and um, I, uh, I did these large plaster boulders and uh, just placed five, a bit over, larger than, than human size. I mean, that my measure for most of my things is really the body, my body in that case, what I, what I can reach and grasp or like relate in relation to my torso or my head, my arms and my legs, you know. So um, I always say, I want you to look with your knees, see with your elbows and feel with your eyes. That's, that's, how, you, that's how you connect the sculpture. <laughs> so I did the show of the shadows and um, uh, I didn't realize, you know, for a lot of people really, it, it takes them a while to, to, to wrap their head around a shadow being a thing. So then you settled in Nova Scotia. You decided to become a Canadian, is well, that right? Yeah, well, yeah, at that time um, I immigrated to do my master's there. I was actually married to a German guy at the time, <laughs> divorced since. Um, I didn't really want to teach, but I ended up teaching and I loved it. What did you love about it? Uh, the discourse with the with the students, you know, like you have these smart young kids that, that are eager to express themselves and it's a challenge, you know, because really you have to lead them to do their own thing. And so you have to be open and, and um, as a German rigid mind, it took me a while. <laughs> I mean, that's really what kind of right now I'm missing um, that that discourse, you know, that constant kind of reevaluating um, why art is important now, why would you lead somebody on the way and why are you there, you know. <laughs> Those are basic questions that, that I always 
found fascinating. And uh, can you tell me about the connection to Italy and when you first came to Pietro Santa? It was really because because of uh, of the possibilities working with stone and bronze. Um, the first time I came is actually it's exactly 20 years ago. And, uh, and I had a teaching position for the University of Georgia in Cortona as a sculptor professor uh, for the summer. And, and uh, John said, well, if you go to Italy, you have to come here and do your own work before. I, when I came here and I ordered this giant stone, it was, it was kind of a crazy experience too, because it was a two meter 40 by 150 by 45. And I carved this one big fossil winged being in this gray bardiglio. And I had a month and six days a week <laughs> from morning to night, I would carve. And this, and I was kind of very nervous because I was this young woman coming and these guys kept watching me and the stone was so hard. It was like carving iron. It was like the sound and this bardiglio, it was this, um, uh, this fresh bardiglio that really was so hard to carve, but I, but I pulled it off and I did it in four weeks. And um, uh, I guess um, I had a wonderful time and uh, I, I gained respect here too. And so it was a natural for me to come back then. Was that first wing piece of commission or was that an idea you wanted to realize? It was just something I really wanted to do. It actually, um, it is now in a private collection in Switzerland. Can I ask you more about the inspiration of winged animals mm -hmm. or wings? Mm -hmm. what, I get I get a lot of my inspirations from from natural forms, and uh, the wings really started with with fossils. Yeah. So as my guardians as well, fossils are for me something really fascinating because. Um, here we go again with the existential thoughts, right? Um, for me, they are a connection to, to being part of the world. And it's an interesting thing because I feel like as a human, we have a need to engage with the other and we're trying to make sense of anything mineral or animal and our relationship to it. And so, so I see these things and then I want to see them in, in a more human size or just slightly larger than human size. And, and for me to make a winged being out of, out of stone in that size, it's about the desire to fly and being grounded on the earth. And I mean, that's something very basic. We all know about, you know, looking at the clouds, at the birds and being firmly grounded. <laughs> um, I was wondering if I could ask you, what would your eight-year-old self advise you to do now? My eight-year-old self? Yeah. Um, uh, already when I was, um, was younger, people were impressed with the quality and the level of my work, but somehow I didn't fit in in many places. And that's an odd thing, um, but, but I think in our world now that might be a good thing too. So, so I think my eight-year-old self is telling me embrace life and, and uh, open up and, and be happy with what you achieved instead of trying to figure out, you know, don't be so German. <laughs> Just let drop sometimes through the efficiency and don't feel guilty when you take time off. So I work in large series where I have the 
the shields and I have the winged beings, I have the beasts. And um, a lot of these works, they happen um, sort of side by side or they they kind of evolve. For example, the beasts in general, the beasts, um, the way they started was when I when I was in Greece and I saw this, this head of a lion in a very light colored marble. And uh, and I, I went back and I, I did a series of work called the domesticated beasts. And they are all based on uh, animal heads of domesticated animals. However, I, the way I get to my form is I go out and find a natural form that reminds me of it. So so the pieces really look, they could be found objects, but they are very distinct, like people look at them and see, see animal heads, but they are made in a, a Rosa Portugale, which is used to depict Caucasian human skin, right? So um, so they are, they are just these heads, these raw, like, raw heads that but that they look like um like flesh like human flesh and one thing i guess too with with really all my work um is that that i i'm not interested in in finishing the surface polishing it or so i i for me all my work is about a skin a skin wrapping a volume so it's all about you seeing me carving this and about um, being aware of of how it came into being and uh, and and as a skin it shows wear and tear so so my work is like I, I carve right to the surface and then I smooth it out and I keep it so that it's soft to the touch but it but it looks raw and often I leave really rough edges on the pieces undersides um, so these domesticated beasts was a, a series that I did and then uh, and then I got got thinking, and then um, the, the shadows came again, and I made molds of these, and I doubled them up in a in a black opaque kind of material called winterstone. So there were these shells that doubled up, and were the shadows of domestications. And then I went to Budapest, and I saw the monument of the Huns, where the horses um, had bridles made of deer antlers full circle for me because a domesticated animal becomes the beast right so it becomes a weapon I was like whoa so I did a show where I had all these animal heads that had either you know like a bull head with the eyes covered and then I had the horse head with the bridles just but just the heads just the the, the animal heads and then from there I was kind of going on and I was rethinking and I was thinking about the wild and, and that's when the horned creatures came in. And the horns are like arms or like snakes, you know. So they are very much like these creatures that I want you to think of, but you can't really pin it down. And, and so they rest in a space where, where, where I hope you relate to them as just the other and then kind of fill that void with, with your own experience or reevaluate your own experience against this thing that I put in your, in your, in your way. It's, it excites me when it when it, it ends in a place where I look at it and say, oh, I don't I don't even know how I got there. You know, like did I make this? Uh, now it, it works by itself, right? So, and when I get more than out of it than I put in, that's that's an exciting thing for me. You know, this whole idea, I see something in the stone. No, I, I put my idea into the stone. 
you know, because again, because I stop where other people still have a lot of time because they want to have the perfection of the surface. I don't seek that kind of perfection. The perfection is somewhere else for me. It's, it's, it's in the presence afterwards. I feel like you need to enter through the surface. If, if you, if you, if you um, polish a stone too much, it, it, it closes off. And I, I, I like my pieces to be open enough that you, that you wonder, that you want to touch. So thanks to Vanessa Pashakanis. You can see her work on her website, sculpturebyvanessa.com, or on Instagram at VanessaVIP. Thanks to Gail Scoff, whose photographs of Vanessa can be found on our website, materiallyspeaking.com, and on Instagram. You can also check out more of Gail's work on her website, gailscoff.com, and of course on Instagram, at scoffupclose. Thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying Materially Speaking, subscribe to our newsletter on our website so we can let you know when the next episode goes live.